I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. This is the Heart of Wisdom Mantra, the Gate Mantra. It's the last line, it's the capping verse, it's the, it's the subliminal message beneath all of the sutras. Gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhiswaha, beyond, 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 the beyond beyond the mind, beyond the body, beyond separateness, beyond ideas and concepts, beyond, and yet transcendent, yet imminent, indwelling, inherent, ever accessible. Gate means beyond. Bodhi, awakening, awakefulness, the root of Buddha, to bud and blossom, Buddha, Buddha, awaken, awakefulness, and swaha, an untranslatable utterance of great joy, like Eureka, hallelujah, amen, imaho, instead of swaha in Sanskrit. So this is the Gate Mantra, the heart mantra of transcendental wisdom, Prajnaparamita, it says at the top of the page, Mahaprajnaparamita, Hridaya Sutra, the heart sutra, sometimes called the heart sutra, not referring to the heart organ, but the heart of the matter, the vital essence, the heart truth of reality, heart of dharma. But here, right here in the Mahayana Heart Sutra of basic uh, Buddhism, Northern Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism prevalent all over the Eastern globe and now all over the globe, we find the basis of this non-dual teaching of Mahamudra and Dzogchen, if you look. like the beginning of the third paragraph that everything is marked 
by shunyata or subjectivity and ungraspability, shunyata, badly translated by everyone as emptiness. But it's not born and also not destroyed, neither stained nor pure, and so on. So if you go through this, you see the basis of this, of no, nothing to get, nowhere to go, go a little further down. No suffering and no suffer, source of suffering, no wisdom and no attainment. Just whacking out the whole notion of the path as we usually think about it conceptually. Getting from here to there, from the prison or the ocean of samsara to the paradise of nirvana. No, no such distinction or dualism, no hindrance, no fear, and so forth. Nothing to do, yet everything to be. And being is flowing, not static, but ecstatic, alive, so there's plenty happening. Like the ocean doesn't need to wave. If there's wind, there's waves, no problem. The ocean doesn't get bored and decide it has to be more wavy today. So I love chanting this, chanting Shabd, sacred sound, Japa yoga in Hinduism, mantra yoga. It's a great practice in Tibetan, we call it mantrayana, the vehicle or the way of mantra, combining our body and our breath and our energy and our chanting and our mouth and our voice and our concentration and our everything not just sitting and meditating, trying to do as little as possible, but really throwing ourselves into it like sacred dance, all of the aspects of our being. So it's a great practice, if it works for you. So we do a little chanting here. This is not a chanting retreat, but if you enter into the door of the Vajrayana and Tantrayana, you find there's a lot of mantras and chants and sacred music and rituals and yogic dance, Lama dance, and other things that one could enjoy and experience and practice if that suits you. So we ended our session with this chant, as we usually do. We began with the breathing exercises from the six yogas, six Vajrayana yogas, energy yogas of Tibetan Buddhism. But the main practice of the awareness alone, the sky gazing, trekchut, seeing through, being through, trekchut in the form of sky gazing, openness and awareness. That's what I want to stress. The view nothing more to do, the bigger picture, as it is. And the meditation of getting used to that, of leaving it as it is. The meditation of unmeditation or non-meditation. Undoing the habit of overdoing. The seeker undoing the habit of always being a seeker and allowing for the possibility of being a finder, even here and now. Being there while getting there every step of the way, not waiting. Being here while getting there every step of the way, not waiting, and so forth not looking for the proverbial illusory pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, like a child. Such a beautiful story. But seeing the view from above, a rainbow is a circle, and there's no pot of gold. That's the bad news. But it's all gold, rainbow, every step all around. Nothing that's not here. That's the good news. So I open, and everything open, and metaphor for open awareness, and following the out-breath a little more, if you need a little structure to concentrate on, if you're a beginner meditator, if you use the shine, shamatha, concentration meditation, samadhi, shamatha, something to concentrate on, although I'm not really um, emphasizing that here, more the view and relaxing and panoramic awareness than concentrating on an object, 
the object here is whatever arises in the moment. Choiceless awareness, panoramic awareness, not riveting our attention to a candle flame, the breath, or mantra as an object of attention, like in shamatha. So this is not exactly the same as concentration, meditation, or shamatha. Just because we're sitting and doing nothing doesn't mean it's necessarily concentration awareness. So in Tibetan Buddhism, we call it the union of shamatha and vipassana, of focus and insight or wisdom, awareness, the bigger picture, the view. I hope you're with me. Those of you who talk about words like shamatha and shine, who practice concentration, insight, metta, you know, samadhi and yoga and other things. I hope you're with me. So that's why we talk about the view and the meditation and the action. The meditation may look the same, just sitting here quietly, but the view, the outlooks are quite different than trying to go through many stages to get to enlightenment one day. So from the view, the outlook, comes the non-meditation. Regardless of whether it looks like we're doing the same as the next person who may be trying to purify themselves, for example, through, this, through some kind of sitting meditation, or praying for world peace, or reciting af uh, affirmations, or mantras, like TM, transcendental, you know, reciting mantras which is a fine meditation. I'm just saying that's not what we're doing here. In Tibetan Buddhism, Vajrayana, there's many, many mantra practices, as you know if you read or hear about it. So as a tune-up in the middle of our awesome awareness alone, unmeditation, we practice the five-fold wisdom hung, hung, the wisdom syllable, if we drew it in Tibetan, we see that there's five parts in English, there's five letters, you know, H-U-N-G-G. <laughs> and it's really just, so we're not just spacing out or dozing like yesterday I introduced the self-inquiry question, who or what is experiencing, so that we Instead of just spacing out, we get turned towards the, the subject. We, you know, instead of just watching the movie of the Dharmakaya awareness with all of its great shows and celebrity displays, we trace the radiance, look at the light, and back to the projector. You know, the source of all this radiance, where is all this coming from? And of course, it's a circle, again, it's a relational, but you need to look into that and inquire clarify that for yourself, so you can see what we're talking, the met, what the metaphor is pointing to. Thus, the fearless master of our lineage, Jigme Lingpa, the great yogi Jigme Lingpa, said, don't take this personally, any of you. The dogs chase the bone, the, the lions jump on the thrower. I'm glad to see you didn't take it personally, you probably didn't even get it. <laughs> Let me comment. The dog-like meditators chase after the projections, the appearances. The lion-like ones jump right on the thrower, the projector. That was a lot clearer, I know, thank you. It's an old saying. So when we look into who's looking and we see through who's seeing and see through the illusion of the separateness of subject, object, and interaction, everything becomes a lot clearer. 
Anyway, this is Buddhist psychology. So, practicing sky gazing, open and aware, letting go, letting come and go, letting be, the great equanimity. I don't like to say witnessing, that sounds separate, too separate, but like just pure objective observation or just awareness alone. Not I am looking at you or it, or I am medita meditator and meditation object, which is the habitual subject-object dichotomy or interaction. In the Abhidharma in Buddhist philosophy, uh, psychology, subject-object and the interaction. The I forms and seeing the three circles that make karmic reactivity. But awareness alone, which if you insist is awareness, aware of awareness, not three things. So looking at ourselves in the mirror of emptiness, etc. So sometimes we fancy it up and we talk about non-dual awareness or, you know, these words, you can read about it if you try to read Dzogchen texts, books, and translations, and others. Non-dual Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta talks like this too about self-inquiry. The Supreme Self with a capital S, which is the big mind with a capital M, like in Zen, not just small mind, the small self, ego self, with a small M, ego self. Small mind, conceptual mind, thinking mind. So, from the practice point of view, sitting, view like the sky, meditation like a mountain, energy, flow, responsiveness like the ocean's waves. We'll talk more about that tomorrow as we get towards, um, you know, the end of the retreat, action in life and so on, the paramitas, the virtues, Buddha activity, etc. But I don't want to lose track of the view in the meditation because everybody in the world talks about the Ten Commandments, the Buddhist precepts, and all the other nice things we should do. But we're on the how here, how to recondition and decondition so we have the freedom to choose to do these things that we all agree we should do, but sort of not that simple to do. We all agree to love our enemies. We should. But how the hell how? when we're so reactive, anger, bitterness, resentment, and other things gets in the way, you know, long-term feuds and resentments and so on, prejudice and intolerance gets in the way. So here we are getting upstream from all of this, resting, getting back into first moment, only moment, no chain of conditioning. The fresh awareness of now. Nowness awareness is the full Buddha within. Not even within, it's the Buddha-ness. It's the Buddha mind. It's the ultimate therapy in the now. There's no conditioning in the now. In Dzogchen, we call it the fourth time or the fourth moment. Past, present, and future are the three linear sequential times of horizontal, let's call it human, for lack of a better word, time, ordinary time past, present, future, linear, sequential time. But the fourth time, ascendant, the divine time that bisects every moment, the nowness, doesn't change. In that now, there's no past, there's no story, there's no history, there's no miserable childhood, there's no victim story, there's no self-imposed limitations, there's no conditioning. Because there's no string of your self-story, of your selfiness, 
tying all these beads together. There's no rosary, there's only moment, moment, bead, bead, bead. This moment, only moment. This is the ultimate therapy, I guarantee you. And naturally, people say, or the inner lawyer says, but after that, then what? Yeah. Then the next only moment. Thank you. Of course, it's totally obvious. That's the practice. It's challenging. It doesn't, it's, you're not just done. After being bent out of shape, like a calendar rolled up for too many years, what happens when you unroll a calendar that you've been saving in the closet to give away or hang on the wall at Christmas? It hangs like, a, I don't know, a scroll, you know, like a, I don't even know what word there is for this. Like a curl cue. So what do you do? Roll it the other way, recondition it. Roll it the other way, like in yoga, breathing out and bending forward, breathing back and breathing in. You with me? Roll it the other way, balance is the way. There's not one right way. Oh, you always have to roll it this way, don't roll it the other way, no. Balance, why are we rolling it the other way? So it hangs like that? No, <laughs> to get it back to its natural state, a piece of paper is flat. Even if it's rolled, it's still just a piece of flat paper, but it's temporarily rolled. Like us, we're temporarily bent out of shape by how many years, look around the room, or how many lifetimes of conditioning. So maybe one moment of nowness isn't enough for some of us. We need two or three. <laughs> After 50, 70, 90 years or lifetimes of conditioning, of bending ourselves out of shape and then feeling bent out of shape. <laughs> like a rusty nail. Drink. That's why in Dzogchen we say the inherent freedom of being is like a snake coiled up. We may be bent out of shape, but the snake is still a snake, whether it's coiled, whether it's even knotted up or not. So we don't have to iron everything out and make it, you know, just all like cream cheese, homogenous either. That's, not, that's an oversimplification of oneness or one taste, as we call it in Dzogchen. It's seeing the natural state in the bent out of shapeness, in the rolled upness snake, in the coiled snake, in the knotted snake of our own kalashas and neur neurosis. Are you with me? Jumping metaphors too much? <laughs> Thus we say, everybody says, the neurotikaya, neurosis arising as wisdom, as gnosis. We don't have to purify it for infinite lifetimes. That's the slow safe and careful and slow, have I said yet, slow and gradual way. This is the enlightenment now, awakening now way, the Vajra spaceship, Vajra starship, not the ox cart, not the horse-drawn wagon of purifying all the 84,000 kalashas or obscuring emotions. That's why it says in the Dzogchen text, the five kalashas arising as the five yeshes or primordial wisdoms. Thus, I coined the term Naradakaya based on this scripture. It's very understandable if you look into these things with a little discernment and experience.
like we can learn to love and accept ourselves as we are, warts and all. We don't have to become some kind of, I don't know what, perfect baby-like being. I mean, what, what is the perfect baby anyway? They're all perfect. So this is the basis of the natural great perfection practice that we're doing, not just sitting here and tuning out because it doesn't matter what we do anyway. That's nihilism. It matters very much. Everything we do, say, think, intend, act as repercussions, implications, karmic results, causes and effects. But check it out for yourself and see. Any questions, please? Hi, Lama. Hi. <clears throat> uh, thank you. In my experience, um, which is different, I, I didn't come from a Buddhist background. Um, and I've been meditating for maybe on and off for a long time, mostly off. <laughs> and <clears throat> but you've been trying, it sounds like, for a long time. I have. I have. I had I've thinking probably about it. many stumbling blocks um, and sort of peeled away the layers over <laughs> a long time. And so, anyway, um, I attend Quaker meeting, um, which mm -hmm. is so compatible. Yes. I didn't even know how compatible Wonderful. it was when There's I came here. There's a lot here. of Quaker Buddhists yes. meetings. Yes, and, and I, I knew that. Yeah. Um, but, but you still have to do it. So I wonder how it's going for you. So tell us. Uh, yeah, and so this you? idea of the view and the meditation and action sounds super Quaker to me. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of their gig. My, teacher would it, my Tibetan Lama teacher would like that. Go on. It, it's really true. And so I got here. I was like, well, geez, <laughs> I didn't know. Um, and maybe a year ago in meeting, I don't know, Quakers, the my kind of Quaker that I practice with, um, they practice in silence. And then the idea, the whole sort of basis of Quakerism for people who don't know is just that God is is inside of you, right? You have direct access to God at all times. Um, it's a Christian religion, but they don't focus on Jesus so much. Sometimes, some do. Anyway, someone stood up in meeting and said something that's really, really struck me. And um, sort of that idea of the view sort of, like it just hit me like a wrecking ball, really. I was really changed from something someone said in meeting. And immediately my practice got so much more strong because there was just this unbelievable relief. It was like, oh my gosh, that view is, was a relief for me. And so I practiced and it was like 4.30 in the morning, no problem, get up, meditate, yay. Did that for like about a year. And then my life got very busy um, and hard, just sort of daily stuff. And I was sort of like coming to the meditation cushion and meditating, and I think I was looking for the relief, yeah. <laughs> not the view. Right. That's the problem. It is the problem. Memory, memory <laughs> and comparing and, yeah. Yeah, and so coming here was a real act of faith in a way because I knew that's there, but, but I kind of lost it. So I just wonder about action and balancing even action in meditation um, with the view. They seem, you can't, I know you want to wait, <laughs> but I feel like you can't separate them. That's right. Do you have anything to the say about The view, meditation, and action are not, are not uh, separate. It's like three facets or a tripod. 
so that's what we said. Getting the meditation is not not doing something else. Just getting used to the view, as it is, leaving it as it is, and seeing it as it is, and being as is, and that leads to spontaneous action. Being as is doesn't mean you try to do nothing, but you're also not trying to always to do something or do the same thing again and again, because you're a cookie cutter going through life, stamping out the same patterns. No need. You're more like luminosity, you know, light omnidirectional and free than a cookie cutter compulsively reproducing the same patterns everywhere yeah I guess but let's go back to the view it's very gratifying to hear your testimonial that hearing about that was like a wrecking ball it was it was like that because <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying so and then you said you got it but you kind of and then you had a good year of meditating, and then your life got busy. So, uh, how are you doing here this week? And you know, how, how you know you can take this home, or you know, how, how do you get together with the Quakers? You sit in a circle silently, so you can do this anywhere, with or without a circle, and with or without Quakers. Also, obviously, I mean, the whole world is your church. So, yeah. But you tell me, how can I help you clarify or um, refine, you know, this path? Also, I want to mention. You heard what I said about being a find, opening to the possibility of finding, not just always seeking. Being there while getting there. Being here while getting there. Yeah, no, that feels good. And this week is good. The first couple of days were, uh, the first day maybe was like, whoa, it's going to be a long week. <laughs> but, but it's not having the doing. Yes. <laughs> not having the doing has helped and it was almost like immediately it was like oh yeah that's what's been going on so that's been great and I do think that actually for me the eyes open um, that feels really relatable it's hard but I do feel like that piece of it Part of what someone has said, the thing that really struck me was that they said, you know, when I came into meeting today, I was going to go really deep. This is what he said in this meeting. And part of what he said was, I'm going to go really deep because I've had a bad week and I'm going to, like, you know, clear out all the bad stuff. And he was like, but I don't, you know, I don't need to go deep. I'm, I'm right here. Like, it's here. <laughs> And that's, there is no deep. That's just that's a, comparing, right. a comparative That's right. Thought. And so I think coming here has helped clear, you know, <clears throat> it's like remind me of what is already, like the contact lens is already on or something. So. Good. Um, but I guess my question was more about balancing that in a mm -hmm. practical way. Because mm -hmm. um, it's hard to lose, I just lose sight of it. And I, I feel like on a way I had the glimpse and then to lose it was like... So obviously I haven't lost it, it's there, but... Yeah, but we lose touch with it and lose track of it, and next thing you know, we feel like lost. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where daily practice comes in, you know, explicit practice, like, let's say, every morning, but it could be any time, and then bring it into every, you know, hour and minute of life, or being part of a group, or, um, you know, studying about it, practicing about it, sharing about it as appropriate. Um, <clears throat> All right, thank looking you. deeply, you know, going to your Quaker circles, etc. as a reminder. And, but um, why is it hard to meditate with your eyes open? Tell me. This is for everybody, so listen up. 
Because oh. people, you know, this has to do a lot with the comparing mind, like about what's meditation and what isn't. What's a good meditation that I'm used to and what isn't. So go on. Actually, I think for me, it started out as hard, in part because I was hard. <laughs> no, no, I was, no. But, but yeah. Is it because you're used to, as a Quaker, meditate, whatever you No, You've no, been trying for many there's no years. <laughs> I know. Have yeah. you been trying with your eyes closed? So you're used to eyes closed, so it's hard with eyes open? Or, or what? I think that closing my eyes sometimes gives me more permission to use my ears, right? And that's the metaphor in Quaker life okay. that we use, where you're listening for, for God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it just, I think it takes a bit of practice to balance the sensory sort of right. s- synapses that yeah. fire from your yeah. eyes. Your yes. eyes are just rule. Yes. <laughs> yeah. With humans, eyes rule. Yeah. As a sense. So I think generally. that for me, what helped me sort of take the edge off, even in the last 24 hours, has been to really still consider my ears, really think about my other senses or sort yes. of direct my awareness. Right. Toward other senses. So I want to encourage you to do ear gazing also. Yeah, I like and nose that. Nose gazing. Heart and gazing, yeah. Heart gazing <laughs> and body gazing with the sensations and Yeah. So thank you. The reason I was asking about the eyes closed and open was not just for her, but you know, a lot of our and you hear this in, in the different questions and experiences that we all wonder about. Especially if we're experienced with meditating of some kind, it's often with eyes closed. in in many traditions, so we have an idea of what meditation is, and when we start trying with eyes open, we feel like we can't concentrate, we can't get in that habitual frame of mind that we get by meditating, usually. So that's, you know, deeper, and all these other ideas, and we're not talking about that here. This moment-only moment, not deeper, not what's behind, seeing through everything, not seeing what deeper. Seeing through deep, also the distinction between deep and shallow. So there's even a Zen saying, it's all surface. That's a very non-theistic Buddhist thought. There's no God behind. There's no deep. There's no nirvana somewhere else. Nirvana and samsara inseparable, you with me? There's no deeper. That's just one side of it. Of course, there's deeper in other ways. So the comparing mind, as we call it in Buddhist meditation traditions, gets us in a lot of trouble trying to get back to that whatever we had before experience, like you mentioned and others have, um, trying to get, that med- get with our eyes closed what we were getting last month with our eyes, sorry, get with our, here with our eyes open, a meditation state like we had with our eyes closed before. That's contraindicated. This is the only show in town, this right now, as it is, the isness. It's the best show in town. And we see it, we experience it, we hear it, we are it. It's not separate from us, and yet we're always looking for something else. That's the problem in a nutshell. Not that we're not deep enough. There's no such thing as shallow people. I mean, relatively, you could say there are deeper and shallower. But in general, you know, we're all God's creatures, we're all endowed with the Buddha nature. What does shallower mean? That they watch TV and you read books, so they're shallower? I mean, come on. (laughs) Just come on. That you're spiritual and they're not? I mean, give me a break. (laughs) Mr. Spiritual, please. (laughs) 
Talk about dualism, <laughs> us and them, and ego, come on. Thank you all.